0: Christmas is great. I mean, you know, I said last week Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, but, but Christmas is getting better and better for, for me. And what I, I like uh, on, the, uh, on social media, you know, parents are posting their letters uh, that their kids are writing to Santa, and some of them are just, you know, just hilarious, and they're just extremely funny. And uh, my, my friend, who has a son named Timmy, he wrote one too, and this is his letter to Santa Claus. He goes, Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me any good the year before that. This is your last chance. Sign Timmy. I'm not sure what um, Timmy's going to do about Santa's uh, gift selection, but I don't think it's a good idea to uh, threaten Santa. I don't know. It's probably not a wise choice. Last year. We gave away, I believe Kimberly got it, the Christmas pickle. Now, the Christmas pickle is from an old German tradition about they would hide an actual pickle on a Christmas tree. And I guess this was a big treat to the kids. If you would, if you would find the pickle, you would also get a special, special gift. So I thought this year, you know, well, you know last year was the start of the Christmas pickle in the BBCC. Why not start a, 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 a Christmas tradition where we give away a pickle? every year, okay? So at least this will be the second pickle that we have given out at Bridge Brothers Community Church, so that's that's pretty cool. But you're going to have to earn this pickle, okay? All right? Not counting my family. Who knows my middle name? Warren? Corn? Corn? Well, I can see where that might fit in, but no, that is not my middle name. It fits. it fits. That's right. It does fit. That's it. All right. That was a hard. That was a pretty hard question. I thought maybe Joe Cohen might get that one because he's known me for like a million years, but he failed. So he doesn't get a pickle. You got the penguin last year, I believe. Yes, that's right. Okay, you got the penguin. All right. Is it No. All right. I will give you a hint, and then we'll move on to the secondary question. It starts with the letter I. Ignatius. Ignatius and Isaac. I heard those two names. They're both... eh, Wrong. Ooh, that's great, but that's not how you spell Ezekiel. But it's also... eh, Wrong. All right. What's that? (laughs) Nope. No. (laughs) No. Although I might I might appreciate that one better than my actual middle name. That is a close. That's a close second, but we can't give it to the mayor household. They already have one pickle. They can't have another pickle. Ivan. And uh, Isaiah. No. Yes, Roger. You get the Christmas pickle. There you go. Irving is my uh, middle name And to prove that there is a God That almost was my first name So, you know, God was good And, uh, you know, I've come to appreciate Irving as my middle name But but a first name, I don't think that would have been good (laughs) It's great to laugh together and have fun I appreciate you all so much putting up with my zinnitus. I really do. (laughs) I really do. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for joy. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for the impartation of your Son, not only into this world, but into our lives, and into our spirit, into our heart. Into everything that we are as your sons and daughters. thank you for that most indescribable gift. And thank you for your generosity this morning, your generosity that, that you would choose to be with us, and I am grateful for that. We are grateful for that. So as we enter again into a most sacred moment, I ask that you would empty me of me, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would anoint my words my heart, my spirit, to reflect yours. So that every word that comes out of my mouth is for your glory and for our edification. Only you can do that kind of miracle. And we're going to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, today is the first day of Advent. And I'm going to light... The first candle of Advent. And I have permission to light candles in here from from St. James. Made sure that we could do that. It's the candle of hope. And for many people during the season, Christmas doesn't really bring hope. All it does is bring painful reminders of broken relationships. Maybe some huge financial difficulties because the pressure of buying gifts is immense and all, the budgets are already tight. And you now just the pressure of, of the merchandising of this season weighs down on people. And maybe just hope just, is just so distant that all, the, all that, because of lost loved ones, lost relationship, loss of financial security, all those things, you know, just leave a sense of hopelessness during this season for many people. You know, many years ago, when I was uh, seven years old, there was, there was a, a Christmas incident at, at my house that for a very long time in my, in my life impacted the way I saw Christmas. And I've shared this story before, but I thought it would be important to share it again today. I'm not sure what happened that day. It was a few days before Christmas, and uh, our tree was up, and there was there were some presents underneath the tree. Uh, we didn't... Christmas wasn't a big thing in our house, and often there wasn't any presents, and there wasn't any tree. But this year we had a tree. It was a small one, uh, and there was a few presents underneath the tree. And my... Mom also got uh, opened up one of her Christmas g- gifts, uh, which was a whole new set of uh, pots and pans for her to cook with. Now, was, you know, you know, I've told you before, my mom couldn't cook, so this really wasn't a great gift for the rest of us. But for her, it was great because she all got she got new pots and pans, and it was she was very excited about it. Uh, so she had already opened those, and she was going she was gonna begin c- cooking some breakfast that morning. I'm not sure what happened. But something made my father very angry. I don't know if it was something that someone said or did. I actually do not know. But in a fit of rage, he took the Christmas tree and threw it outside on the snowbank. And proceeded to take each one of the presents and do the same kind of thing. Throw them all on the snowbank. And then he took my mother's set of pots and pans, took them down to his workshop, and began to destroy them. And then threw them out on the snowbank. So I can remember as a seven-year-old just kind of looking out the, the window at the snowbank with all, the trees stood, you know, stood with all its decorations on it and they were all, of course, scattered among the, the, the presents and the broken pots, the pans, and, you know, people driving by our house looking at this, thinking that this was a really weird Christmas display, but gone bad here. But, you know, I remember as a seven-year-old just looking like, what just happened? Now this was, this was not an unusual occurrence for me to see my father get angry and him destroy things and uh, we all hid for a while. But it was days before we could even bring them, days after Christmas before we could even bring the tree and the presents into the house again and days before we could even open them again. And, and to be honest with you, I don't even remember what I got that Christmas. I do remember the gifts in the snow. So I'm thinking this morning, a, a scenario like that, and, and you probably all have some kind of story that you've either heard or experienced. I said, what does that, and this is a question I'm asking you, what does that do to the spirit of someone? Crushes it. Closes the spirit up. How, how, does, how does a human being do even handle that. Shut down. Closes themselves off. Hardens their heart. Makes them lose hope. Yes? Make a decision never to hope again. Yeah. And many people have experienced things like that in our world. We're we get tempted to put our hope maybe in lesser things. Maybe we start to put our hope in things, you know, that we can actually purchase, things i can buy, things i can control. My experiences even. We start to try to put hope back in our hands and it doesn't really work, does it? It doesn't really work. But maybe like i did for a lot of years, you get very cynical like we just talked about. The spirit gets hard. They get closed off. We, we don't think we can hope again. So we get very cynical about the holiday. We start to mock it. Put no stock in it. You know, just, just like, It's just another day. You know, and for years, that's kind of how I reacted. In my spirit, at least. Or maybe, and this is probably what most people do, they just give themselves a way to despair doubt and hopelessness. That is probably the most common human reaction to, to a situation like that or many situations like that. It just robs them of hope. And then the only way they can deal with it is just to sink into a, to a, some form of depression. Spiritual depression, mental depression, emotional depression. The whole ball whacks. The world is so confused about hope. Do you ever hear people say, "I don't want to get my hopes up," because they're afraid of what of being disappointed? You know, the Greeks have a, the Greek in the, in the New Testament. The, the, the most word that they use for disappointment means means to be put to shame. To be put to shame. No wonder nobody wants to be disappointed. Nobody wants to be put to shame. You know, disappointment kind of sounds even kind of like, well, that's not too bad. I can handle disappointment. But the, the word actually means to be put to shame, to want to, to, to want to hide yourself, not to be able to face anyone or anything. So people say, I don't want to get my hopes up because, man, I just don't want to be put to shame. I don't want to be disappointed, so I'm going to keep my expectations low, as low as I can go, and still kind of maybe muster up some kind of energy to go through life. I just keep, I'm going to keep it here because you know that's all I can expect out of life. That's all I, I maybe I even deserve. This is why we need the Christmas story to be told, because hope comes in the form of Jesus Christ. This is why this season is huge. To be able to share the gospel story. To talk about hope in every way imaginable. Because there are so many of us, even us, in this room, that set our expectations low so that we don't get disappointment in our hearts and our spirit. And God doesn't want them low. God wants them lifted. And this is what the Christmas story is all about. I don't want to get my hopes up. And yet in Romans 5.5, 5, Paul reminds us of what? That hope does not disappoint. Paul's saying, man, I understand what this word means. I know what it does to you to lose hope. But hope does not disappoint. Because of who it's connected to. Because of the God it's connected to. Because of the Messiah that is connected to. Hope does not disappoint and will never disappoint. This is what this whole season wants to remind us about. In my mind, and in, in, in the way I look at it now, I think hope is this wild dependence on God. Hope is not tame whatsoever. You know, this is tame. This low bar of expectation. This is, a, this is a tame reference in our life. We, we can control this, this low expectation here. We, we keep it low because we don't, we don't want to deal with it. The hope, true hope in God is wild and untamed. Because we're depending on a God who surprises our socks off all the time. And delights in doing it. Hope can't be rounded up and put in a, in a, in, in a container. Hope is free-range and wild. Because we have a God who is not tame. Is there anything tame about God? No. No, the, lion of Judah. the Lion of Judah. Who wants to tame a lion? <laughs> and he is a lion who is untamable. And, and thanks be to God that he is. Oh, man, thanks be to God that He is the Lion of Judah. Hope is a wild dependence on God who loves to come through. Hope is about promises and faith. Hope is about trust, trusting a God who will provide a way for us when we have lost ours. I know, the prophet Isaiah said it this way. Chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people who have walked in darkness... And that word darkness means misery and destruction. Have seen a great light. And those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness. That whole phrase means. The shadow of death. And the threat of death. On them light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide their spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you are broken as on the day of Midian. Basically, that means you've been freed from oppression. For every boot of the trampling warrior in a battle and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And this way, when it talks about fuel for the fire, it's talking about a cleansing fire. Being cleansed. And here's the reason. For unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. The word son there means the builder of a family name. And the government should be upon his shoulder. This also about being on his shoulder. This means two things. It means it means he has he's carrying the authority, and he's also carrying the burden. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and here this is my favorite one, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And in the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. That is the gospel message. The thrill of hope that we want the world to experience. See, God's light brings hope. Because it brings us out of the darkness. It shows the way out of the darkness. And it gets us out of the threat of death. And it takes the burden off our shoulders. and puts it on the the shoulders of our Messiah who carries the burden for us. And has the authority to do so. That. It's extremely hopeful to me. To know that I don't have to carry the burden. I don't have to set my expectations low, so I don't, I'm afraid of being disappointed. I can set the bar so high, because I know my God will fulfill it. And beyond that. Because the light has come. And the government is on his shoulders. The way things run are on his shoulders. The way things need to be dealt with is on his shoulders, not mine or anybody else's. No matter what the government of the United States thinks. The government is on his shoulders. No matter what any other country thinks. The government is on his shoulders. He carries it. So my hope can increase because I don't have to worry about what the United States does or what every other government does. I know what my God can do. And so my hope is in that. The thrill of hope of knowing who he is as Messiah, as King, as Lord. Lord. God's light brings hope. For unto us is a beautiful statement because this is a proclamation for unto us. God is announcing that our orphan status is no more. That He is taking us from being orphans, walking in darkness, having no hope, and making us, giving us the opportunity to become sons and daughters of his. And having hope that is off the charts. Because of who we belong to now. For unto us, unto us, unto you, unto me, a son is given. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We talked a little bit about the battle last week. We talked about the battle for the mind. We need hope for this battle. You can't win a war without a battle. And you can't win a battle without hope. We're in a battle. We're going to be in a battle as long as we're on this planet. Now the war is won. Victory is won. But there's lost ground to recover. There are are people who are still in darkness that need to be brought into the light. This is the battle. The enemy wants us dead not just physically but dead to possibility dead to promise dead to hope because ultimately that means dead to our relationship with God see the enemy wants this to happen is invested in a battle with us to make this happen for us to lose hope so that we we, we want to back off the battle Because the enemy hates us. That's one reason for this battle. But the enemy is also afraid. And here's what he's afraid of. If God's sons and daughters have hope in their God, there is nothing that can stop them. And the enemy is is afraid of sons and daughters finally, finally getting the point that, hey, wait a minute, my hope is in God and God alone. And there's nothing that can stop God. So therefore, there's nothing that can stop me. But going into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. And bring people out of darkness into the light. This is why we need to have hope. Not just for ourselves personally, but there's a lost and dying world out there that needs to know that our Savior lives. And Messiah came in the form of a baby. But He didn't stay that way. And He's coming again. And that's hope for us who who believe and know. And yes, we we should dwell on that hope. And we should embrace that hope. And we should breathe that hope in every day. But that hope is meant to motivate us to spread the gospel. Because we want other people to come out of the darkness. We want other people to be freed. And this is why the enemy is afraid of sons and daughters seizing hope and running with it. Hope is wild. Hope is untamed. And the enemy can't handle that. I want to share a scripture with you that is not usually read at Christmas time. I can almost guarantee that it's not read at Christmas time. But I think it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful expression of hope. It's in John 14, verse 18. It's a very small verse. I will not leave you as orphans, and I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Doesn't that just make hope rise in you this morning? When you think about that, just think about that for a moment. Like what, what Christ is saying here. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the whole context of this passage, Jesus is really going into depth about his relationship with Father God. He's, he, is, he is not just hinting about his going to see the Father soon. He knows he's going to see the Father soon. He knows that He's going to the cross. He knows the, the resurrection is coming. He knows He will be going back to the Father. He knows that the Holy Spirit is coming. But the promise is that I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you fatherless. I will not leave you powerless. I will not leave you alone. I am a God who is with you always. Emmanuel, God with us. The fact that God will not leave us as orphans, that He places us in a family, that His whole intent of His heart is to be intimately related to us, should bring hope to our hearts in our darkest days. On the days that we, we can't face the next morning, on the day that we want to set the, our expectations so low that they go underneath the ground... Because we know that there's just no way that God's going to do this. We we believe the lie about that. We should reflect on the fact that Father did not leave us as orphans. He sent Jesus Christ to redeem us, to make us sons and daughters of the Most High. So this morning, we're not orphans. And to choose an orphan spirit because we're afraid of embracing the wild, uncontrollable hope of God, it's not only wrong, it's fruitless. See, the Christmas season is the perfect opportunity to live above any orphan status. To live as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Because if God promised not to leave us as orphans, that means we don't have to choose an orphan spirit. We can walk as sons and daughters because that's what we are. And see, when when I'm able to, in my own personal walk with Him, when I'm able to concentrate on that, when I'm able to center on that, when I'm able to believe that with everything that I have, I am so free. And hope comes no matter the circumstance that I'm walking through. Because the hope, again, is not just in deliverance, it's the hope that God is with me through that circumstance. That's what sons and daughters look like. See, orphans, they're afraid of what might be handed to them. So they set their expectations low. I don't want to be disappointed. I'm not going to get my hopes up. But if God would just do this, instead of saying, I am a son and daughter of the Most High, and the scriptures say that I can boldly approach the throne of grace, Amen. Yep. I don't have to be ashamed because hope does not disappoint, mm-hmm. hope sets me free mm-hmm. because my hope is not in my own abilities. My hope is not in the circumstances. The hope is not in anybody else's help. My hope is in God alone. The God of hope. Who loves to give good things to His kids. Amen? Amen. 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 I will not leave you as orphans. Hope is released through relationship. I say hope is God's stake in the ground. God, is, God said, with the whole incarnation, He said, I am proclaiming my sovereignty. I am proclaiming my dominion. I am, uh, I am proclaiming my government and authority over a people that I am calling my own. I am birthing myself into humanity, into to the darkness. I am birthing my life into humanity, into individuals who will accept me as their Messiah. And I'm making them sons and daughters. And they will not only walk in hope, they will be hope to the people that see them. See, that's God's stake in the ground. You and I. What He's invested in us. Not just by coming, by coming and being Messiah. Dying on the cross for our sins. Raising up the dead. Defeating death forever. That alone should bring us hope. So that alone should bring us hope. The hope of glory. God coming back to redeem us as his own. Birthing himself into the dregs of humanity. The darkest place there could be. The, the human heart. And saying, I'm redeeming this. I am redeeming this. I am making this my own heart. I'm going to dwell here. So there's, I I cannot. God's light dispels all darkness. So if you're here this morning and you think your heart is too dark for God to reveal, you need to realize that that's just not true. His light brings hope. And so that darkest place in your heart that you're afraid to to reveal to God, He already knows. And He wants to incarnate Himself into that part of your heart and birth life. You just have to let Him. You just have to say, Yes, Lord, I want you I want my whole heart to be illuminated by your light and by your hope. That's your choice. But God wants to do the work. I'm going to read this. This is often, This also is not usually read during Christmas time. So you're getting a lot of out of the box scriptures this morning. But this is really good. Hebrews 6, 18-19. So God has given both His promise and His oath. Which is amazing just to think about that. His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge have great confidence we hold to the hope this word means to seize to to have strength and to be powerful that word hold that's what it means remember we talked in the summertime not to be afraid about being powerful that God wanted us to be powerful sons and daughters not to be afraid of it any longer why? because we can hold on to hope with all the strength that he's given us which means hope is our possession as sons and daughters Okay, we own this we own hope because it's part of our heritage. It's part of what he's given us. It's part of what he does for us. What he, what he does through us is ours. We hold to it. We hold it with all the strength that he's, he gives us. We don't let go to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor. That word actually means anchor, but it also means safeguard. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor or safeguard for our souls. It leads us through the curtain to God's inner sanctuary. Hope leads us into the presence of God. Jesus made the the barriers to to God disappear. He, he He just said, there's no going to be any more barriers you can be, come to God as your father. I've made it possible through through my sacrifice, through my resurrection. This, this is no longer a hindrance. So why do we hinder ourselves then? If God is if Jesus has made it possible to have hope, to possess it, to hold on to it like an anchor, that, that it keeps us anchored like a stake in the ground, then why do we lose hope in him? I'll just let you ponder that. In the Jewish culture, hope is big. Their their thinking of hope is generational. In the Jewish culture, hope connects their past to their present, to their future. Their word for hope is tikvah. Tikvah. And what it means is to bind together like a strong cord. It's a word picture of taking a, a heavy, big rope, wrapping it around yourselves so that you feel secure and safe because of who it's attached to, God. So the Jewish person, when he thinks of hope, he thinks of God wrapping this huge rope around him and tying it to, to God's waist or wherever God is holding on to. And in that way, I know I can have hope because of who I'm connected to. I'm connected to God. So that connects my past, what God has done for me. It connects it with my present, what God is doing for me, and the promises of what God will do for me. See how that works? See how beautiful that is? Hope is this strong cord that God wraps around us to keep us with Him. We cannot break this cord. No power on earth can break this cord. In actuality then, no power on earth can break hope. We can choose hopelessness. We can choose to have this, this low expectation below the ground. We can, we can choose that if we'd like to, if we want to. We, I don't see why we want to anymore. This is, how, this is how God reconnected hope for me. In my 20s, I traveled with a, a gospel rock group called Charismata mentioned it a few times we used to do lots of concerts up and down the eastern coast and we also would do some some uh, mission work and one christmas uh, a few of us decided to go down to new york city and work at a soup kitchen run by the salvation army and so we went there and we asked the the one of the head mucky muck people to say okay where, where would you like us to serve and he was doling out responsibilities and he pointed at me and he goes, I want you to speak first. And I wasn't expecting this, I wasn't ready for this. And I go, what do you mean speak first? He goes, well this is the way it works. He goes, uh, we bring the people in at this door, they come into the chapel, we give them a small presentation of the gospel and then we lead them into the cafeteria for them to eat. And so then we repeat this process until we run out of food or run out of people, depends on the situation. And so it was really cold that day. There was, it was snowing already in the city. And I'm up on the uh, platform just kind of trying to collect my thoughts about how am I going to do this because I wasn't ready. And believe it or not, I wasn't as verbose as I am now. And I'm sitting there and, and the door's opening and shutting as people are shuffling in. And it's snowing, like I said. And they're, they're coming in. Most of them have been down the streets all night long. So they're either extremely tired or extremely drunk. Or a combination of the both. And almost as as soon as they hit the pew, they're they're asleep. I mean, they're just, you know, they've been walking around all night long just trying to keep warm. And they're ready to eat, but they're just so exhausted. And they don't smell very good. You get about 50 or 60 of these uh, unfortunate living conditions wherever they might be living at that point. It doesn't smell very nice. I was sitting there going, God, what did you do to me? What? What? What's happening here? I mean, I don't want to be up here. I don't want to get one of the other guys. I'm praying. And, and I, the door opened again. And I saw, saw this uh, one individual coming in. And there was snow behind them. And, and God said, Remember the gifts in the snow. When you were seven. I said, How can I forget it? He goes, Well, these are my gifts. I want you to just tell them that I want them home. Can you do that? I go, oh yeah, I think I can. And so it came time and I, and I just gave a, a, a very short sermon about the Christmas story. About angels, about shepherds, and about wise men, and about a, a cruel king. And, and just how, you know, what seemingly was a very harsh time, God brought light and love into the situation. And that God saw each and every one of them as gifts. And as harder as it is for you to believe, talking to them, that you are gifts this morning, you are. And now that God wants you under a different tree this morning, the tree of His cross. And I explained to them what that meant. Closed off my little sermonette. Prayed for them. Excused them to go to the cafeteria. And just sat down on the first step of the platform. Trying to regain my composure. And there was one young man. I was the same age as me, in our 20s. That remained behind. And he came up to me and he said, "Can Can I talk to you? And I said, Of course. And he said, my father threw me out of the house about a month ago. I've been on the streets for, for about a month. And it was over something I said to him, and, and I, we had a huge fight, and he just threw me out in the cold. He said, But listening to your story, I realize I have to go back to him and ask forgiveness. Would you pray for me? And I did. And I don't even think he went in to get a meal. I think he went straight to go back to his father. I don't know the end of the story never found that out. But that day, God reconnected the past to my present and for my future. It completely changed the way I saw Christmas from that point on. Whatever cynicism that I carried, whatever low expectation of this holiday disappeared because I saw a bigger picture of what God has in mind and what a small gift of hope can do to someone. 1 Peter 3.15 also another scripture that's not usually read at this time but sometimes. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. How do we uh, re-gift hope? By giving an answer of why we do have this hope. Why Why are we hopeful? I hope we know who Jesus is. And because we know who Jesus is, we can have this great hope to share.